Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy News. It's an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo. With me today is Dan Lyon. Hello, everyone. Happy Happy Christmas week uh, for those who celebrate. Happy, I guess, Syracuse has done a place in basketball at some point moving forward week. Uh, I think next Monday, maybe. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's probably the extent of the, the happiness of this week. Yeah. We're not going to do an episode next week, so uh, happy new year for everybody. Uh, yes, happy early early new year. We'll catch you in 2022, hopefully a better one. Yeah, we have that. Um, for those who watch Marvel things, um, we won't be talking about Spider-Man um, or Hawkeye, but those are things that exist if uh, if, if you're partaking. And, uh, I don't know what's good. Dan and I actually haven't been on a podcast together in like weeks. <laughs> Because we did we did a, a Danless podcast last week, and the week before that we did a uh, podcast without me. So it's 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 been a minute. Yeah, just uh, you know, weird schedules and whatnot. But uh, but no, happy to get back in the in the swing of things here before we then take off a week. Although, granted, like again, not very much serious stuff has happened in the last uh, last like week and a half at least. Yeah, admittedly, it hasn't been like the worst week to uh, to take off necessarily, um, or at least be. Um, not our usual schedule. Dan, I know I talked to Andy about, uh, you know, early signing period and all. Is there anything on your end uh, that, that you feel like you need to get off your chest about early signing period, what's happened since, and I guess, like, what's going to happen now um, over the next few weeks uh, as we kind of try to close out the offseason? Uh, I mean, I think we've talked about it a decent amount, just like with the numbers that Syracuse um, had going in. And obviously we added a couple of guys late, um, but this is always going to kind of uh, A, be a small class in terms of like the, the classic recruiting class. Um, but B, if we're going to not fill a lot of those spots, I think it behooves Babers and the powers that be to really go aggressively towards trying to land a bunch of transfers. And obviously we got started on that front with, New Mexico State running back Juwan Price, who uh, seems like a really a, a nice add to, uh, you know, a running back crew that is now pretty um, not very deep after being very deep for a while. But you know, we all know where the where the the majority of the carries are going. But you know, you need more than one running back by you probably need three or four. Um, so you know, get some nice valuable uh, experience depth there. And I think we just need to start hammering this transfer wire because there's plenty of players available. I think you know we've talked about the need for. Um, potentially to find some more options at quarterback. Um, that's very important. I think we've had plenty of success plugging guys on the defensive end, and we need to uh, start going after more defensive, you know, play you know, 
ready to plug in and play players. Um, you know, we could always use another wide receiver. We've had a lot of success taking transfers of that position in the past. Offensive line, you can always take guys. So I think the upside of having so many scholarships available is that when there are all these transfers out there and you have playing time to present, you can really start to, to build on something and, and try to get a bunch of um, ready-to-play experienced college players. Um, the downside is, you know, if you fail or you strike out, like you're – building you're putting yourself way behind the eight ball in terms of depth issues so hopefully um as baber starts to round out his staff and uh make some hires you know and we've seen some of the names that are out there um we start to get really aggressive with that over the next couple months because and and like there'll also be time and if if there are a couple slots remaining even past like the february classic signing day like you still get transfers after the spring there's lots of like opportunities through the through the calendar and i think there have been lots of pretty like good legitimate discussions over whether or not to establish a more like grounded transfer window slash transfer period that helps coaches out a little bit with their kind of fishes and loaves situation. But um, overall, like I think, you know, Syracuse has every reason to be super, super aggressive. And uh, hopefully this, hopefully this price uh, edition is just like the first drop and not like, a you know, one of the rare ads. Yeah, I mean, I think this isn't like a typical time of year that Syracuse makes an addition um, via the transfer market necessarily. So, like Dino said, he's going to, you know, target transfers heavily. I think, you know, any SU fan knows that we kind of had to. Right now, at least on my count, I got 74 players scholarship-wise. Um, so, obviously, we need another 11. Uh, there's not a whole lot of, like, names that were, like, super hot on on the high school, uh, you know, recruiting front. So I do feel like ultimately, like we probably need to mine the transfer portal a little bit. Um, Price was like one of the bigger names left on there. Uh, he ran for 691 yards uh, this past season for New Mexico State. Uh, it would be the second New Mexico State guy we've had in the last couple of years. Um, Jason Simmons being the other uh, defensive back um, who played quite a bit last year. I know just uh, some other names to watch. We don't really have a, a ton going on the quarterback front right now. Um, you know, we do have. Uh, offers out to at least we had offers out to uh, Jalen Daniels, Nasty Tucker, uh, three-star guys. We'll get to a little bit more about uh, quarterbacks in a second. Um, wide receivers wise, we don't have any public offers that I'm aware of. Uh, we do have 10 wide receivers. Um, if you count the recent commits though, so chances are we could be done there. Um, we also have an offer out to Lafayette uh, tight end transfer, uh, Steven Filianos. Um, Seems like somebody we could definitely add. He's 250 pounds, so a bigger guy. Um, definitely fits with what we've been doing, but we really don't know, I guess, what we're going to do on the offensive end. Offensive line-wise, we're potentially fine. We do have an offer out to Willie Tucker. Um, you may remember him uh, from last season before he opted not to come to SU. Um, also have um, high school uh, guard Takube uh, uh, Ma uh, from Hawaii. Uh, he's not deciding until January, so we have some time there. Um, where I'm really concerned, I think, and a lot of other people are too, is defensive line. Uh, we got eight guys so far. Um, Jared Verse from Albany seems like he's not in the mix anymore, given the uh, you know, level of offers that he's gotten. Uh, we're probably good on linebacker, but we could add another one or two, depending. Secondary is really where we're going to be adding um, you know, more names, potentially. and We don't really have a lot of irons in the fire there, but the problem with, like, and really, like from, I, I'm sure you know this too, like from a coverage standpoint, as well as like a roster standpoint, it's just changing the way you talk about these things. Because like for high school recruiting, it used to be that you'd have 
you know, longstanding offers for like, you know, juniors in high school. And then you sit and wait for those to, to, to come to fruition. And SU in particular is very good at isolating and, and identifying talent early um, and, and then cashing in on that, you know, later in the recruiting cycle. I think now that's changed quite a bit where you're able to jump in on guys late um, as much as cash in on, you know, guys you were really um, recruiting heavily early on. Uh, then you also have, you know, the transfer portal. Um, there, there's kind of two schools of thought. There's where some schools or better schools than, than SU, at least uh, from a success standpoint, are able to wait to see, you know, who schools like Syracuse identify and then jump in and see if they have a chance. Or, um, you know, SU and, and others are able to just jump in quickly. Um, you know, and I don't want to speculate about, you know, any sort of like, behind the scenes conversations between coaching staffs and players and, and, and prospective transfers. But, you know, realistically, like you do see a lot of these guys say I'm entering the portal and then within a week or two, um, they're headed somewhere. Uh, so, you know, price we had an offer out to for, for a few weeks, at least. Um, I, I'm interested to see if we were able to pick up the pace there a bit. Cause like a guy like price, he's been in college for three years. He's still got three years of eligibility. So it's not at least right now, you know, the high school recruiting model, isn't necessarily as sustainable as this transfer portal model where you're able to get, you know, again, a three-year player who's still got three years to play. Um, SU and, and Dino Babers and his staff in particular probably need more of that um, if they want to continue um, at Syracuse. Yeah, and we talked about it a fair amount last time we were both on where it, it was just, you know, you have a lot to sell. Like you're an ACC program. You have a you know fairly recent 10-win year that, I, you know, people should be able to remember. Um, you can sell playing time like that should be I, I wouldn't oppose I, I think you've seen a lot of programs almost switch uh their focus to like transfers being just as important as the high school players if not more so um and I kind of get it because like I almost wonder if you get a transfer in their first couple of years I almost I, I'd have to see the numbers and I know there are plenty of guys who transfer twice but I almost wonder if you're more guaranteed to get that guy on his second go around uh, because they might be more reticent to leave again. Um, or they might just, you know, realize what they didn't pick up on in their high school recruitment. And they're a little less, um, they have, you know, a little more information and a little bit more uh, knowledge about what they like in a college. And so they're more comfortable at their second spot. But I almost wonder if like th- that just becomes the norm to where like the transfer becomes the the number one option. And then you go look for the high schoolers. Cause you can't just totally dismiss that. We've seen some, t- some schools, almost move in that direction and it hasn't worked out super well, um, especially because it makes your like kind of class structure really messy. Um, but I think at a time before where like maybe you would take two or three transfers in an off season, that was a lot. Now it's such a big part of it that you almost have to bake the two together and, and try to figure it out. And it's tough with, with, with the class, you know, the classes are all thrown for a loop now because of the COVID year um, and whatnot. But I, I do think like, teams need to be looking at this as like an all encompassing thing. Uh, and, and I think a lot of the best ones are like we saw um, Alabama take uh, Georgia Tech's uh, Jameer Gibbs, who was uh, one of the better running backs in the ACC. Like Alabama can sign a five-star running back anytime. So the fact that Saban's going out of his way to go grab a guy from, from Georgia Tech, I think is pretty telling. And, and they also got a corner from LSU. So like these positions that um, even like the best program in, the, in football, you know, you could argue those are the two best positions Alabama recruits on a regular basis, and yet they are still also going hard after the best guys in the transfer portal. So I, I do think it needs to become a more holistic um, thing, especially for a program like Syracuse, where you're behind the eight ball in so many ways. You can't afford to get left behind when such a massive 
uh, change to the game comes. And I've been like a little worried that we're not quite reacting as fast as some of the best programs. Yeah. And I mean, obviously like we made some additions in the last couple of years, um, Cody Roscoe being one, Garrett Schrader being another, Jason Simmons, as you mentioned earlier, like there's been other guys, but uh, yeah, I, I, to your point, I do feel like we're a little bit behind the eight ball there. I do think that there's a certain level of, you know, activity on the transfer front that like programs like SU and I would say like some peers like Duke, like Wake Forest, um, and, 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 you know, not to draw a direct line between our success and their success, but more like the types of programs and what they do and what's expected of them on an annual basis are similar. Like, I don't think those programs are necessarily like staffed up to the point where they can be as active and, and that's going to have to change in, in, in the coming years. I think, you know, for SU, it's becoming increasingly um, apparent that, you know, we're not going to be able to get, I mean, fans should notice already that we can't just go out and get a five-star wide receiver or running back or quarterback. Um, and a four-star run- quarterback or running back even is going to be rare. But, like, if you can be active in the transfer portal and say, okay, like, you know we can't get that guy out of um, high school, but we can be an appealing location for, um, you know, a guy looking for more playing time who another program's already put in their significantly greater resources um, on that front to help develop him, um, you know, a year or so into his college career. And we can, you know, benefit from that. He can benefit from that here at, at Syracuse. I think like that's a, that's a worthwhile setup going forward. And like, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before, like SU hasn't done a ton in the portal, but where they have, been in the portal, they found a lot of success, to be honest. Like, I don't have the percentages in front of me, but I'd say the success rate is actually pretty high, um, if you include Jugos in particular. Yeah, and that, that's why I think, you you know, you hope that, that Baber's staff really expands it, because, as you said, they, they have been really good at identifying those players and the guys who will fit in. And I think, like, pretty much every high, you know, maybe there's a Juco guy that hasn't really panned out here or there, but I feel like most of the um, major, especially that come from the Power Five, other power five programs um i feel like most of those players have turned into if not like bona fide stars legitimate like you know every down starters and and really high contributors so um and that should be another thing to sell like you know this staff seems to do a good job of identifying talent um even if it's a year or two past the high school level but also find where they can plug them in and have them find a lot of success i mean we have you know multiple transfers in the nfl right now so um yeah, no, I think it's it's vitally important. I, I think it's it's also hard to like it's hard to totally gauge because the transfer timeline is so much different than the classic high school timeline. Even just a couple of years ago when they changed to the December signing period, because that gets that became the de facto signing period versus February. But you still had a general idea of like, all right, this is what this class looks like and there might be a couple more spots. The transfer stuff happens so, you know, so fast and so frequently throughout the year, it's almost hard to like have a great read. Uh, for what your class looks like when you include transfers in it. Um, so, you know, I, I think, like, some of the, the gripes from, like, guys like Dabba Swinney, unsurprisingly, um, are pretty lame. I'm I'm very all for, like, giving players as much opportunity to to switch their schools and, and find the best fits for them. Um, I do think it might make sense to try to find a more, like, cohesive time frame in order to help the coaches just, like, figure out what they have and what they don't have. And I think that might be kind of a fair compromise because I do think we will see some changes here. Um, I hope they do not come in terms of like making it harder for people to find the best school for them. Oh, I agree. And honestly, like I think too, like I know it's framed as like, this is for coaches to be able to figure out the roster. It also helps players, to be honest. Like if you have a window, because then it allows players to, you know, have a pro like like to 
walk into a, a, a process that's already in place and doesn't have to be created from scratch and to find the best school for them also doesn't have them constantly facing some questions around playing time, around opportunities that they're not always looking to like have to jump to another place if they want. Like, like if you're a fringe guy, you know, at the power five level and one school you have an opportunity and suddenly you don't because you've been recruited over and over and over, like because of the way the portal works, like it does become, like, it makes coaches have to be more dishonest than they, than they probably want to be. And like, you know, if, if that sounds like I'm giving coaches too much credit, like I apologize, but I do think that, a lot of these coaches do want to do what's best for, uh, you know, the majority of the players that play for them. And, and, and I do think that it does create this dynamic where like you almost have to be dishonest about playing time and opportunity, um, like on, on not just a yearly basis, but on an almost weekly basis with these guys, um, if things continue the way they are. Yeah. I think it just makes the most sense for everyone to like have like an established thing. Cause right now um, I'm not super worried about like the NIL impacts or whatnot, but I just think, you know, having an idea of like when guys can enter the portal and when guys should have like a fairly decent, um, you know, or even if it's like two different periods during the year, just like setting up some kind of guidelines for everyone uh, would also would help just like the whole situation. Because right now, um, you know, I, I, I'm not worried about like the, the free agency gripes, uh, the NIL stuff, I think will figure itself out in a lot of ways. Um, because you'll start to see schools, you know, you'll start to see companies that don't see the the benefits um, you know, I don't think every booster can be out here throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I, you know, maybe, maybe if, if that does continue to happen, you have some kind of, uh, way to make sure this isn't like a straight up like booster situation. If, if that's a concern for the NCAA, uh, again, that's like not my biggest issue at all. Um, but just in terms of the time frame to, to give like more coherency to everything, because right now it's like when you have guys entering the portal, like after every week of the season, basically, it does end up being like kind of chaotic in a way that I don't know that serves players, coaches, anyone really. Um, but we'll see. I mean, this is still a pretty new phenomenon. Um, uh, and, you know, it's just gotten bigger and bigger every year. And I think that's that's fine. I don't I don't I think like a lot of people think like a moral issue with dice transferring. It's like, can we be way past that? Like how many regular college students transfer every year with no no moral implications? Like that, that part is very stupid. Oh, of course. And unfortunately, it just like kind of comes with the territory when I think with football in general, um, at the NFL level, like there's definitely a, a divide around like, you know, the, the, the traditional values type stuff and like these old school fans and all this other and, and, and that clashes with younger fans and more progressive fans and everything else. So I, I think we're far from settled here, but it, it's going to start changing and more established. And I think long term, like, cohesive ways, which is good. Uh, Dan, before halftime, I did want to talk about one more thing um, on the football front, since uh, we have yet to speak about it together. Um, Syracuse football, uh, according to a report from Pete Thamel, seems to be targeting uh, Virginia's Robert Anai and uh, Jason Beck as the coaching staff hires, Anai being the uh, OC of Virginia for the last six years. Uh, Jason Beck was the uh, quarterback coach during that time. I think the most appealing stuff here. Um, is that, again, you're, you're basically getting a package deal with, with, with a QB coach um, and, and an offensive coordinator who has experience um, with wide receivers as well, which would be a big boost for us. There's some Dino ties, considering they both work at Hawaii. Um, also, Virginia's offense has been very good of late and also been very good with uh, dual-threat quarterbacks, um, you know, Brennan Armstrong, Bryce Perkins in particular, um, and really getting the most out of players like that. Not to say that Garrett Schrader is as good as either, but just to say that Garrett Schrader needs someone who understands how to help him improve um, as a dual threat um, quarterback. So I don't know uh, how 
much you've sat with like this conversation. I don't think it's going to be decided before Christmas, but I could be surprised. But curious if you had any thoughts around um, these two potential hires to, to help kind of, you know, finish out the offensive staff uh, and, and, and get rolling with only like a month or so left in recruiting. Um, I've been pretty excited about the the possibility. I think we brought up an eye. I think the first like rumblings, or maybe it wasn't even like the rumblings of the Syracuse connection. I think it was just after Mendenhall left. Um, we were like, hey, Robert and I is a Hawaiian guy. He has some like not really overlap with Babers, but like close enough where they have to know each other. Um, ACC guy. Uh, it seems like you know. I, I know the Virginia fans seem weirdly more concerned about losing Beck, um, which. Fine, that's that's okay. I'll take him too. I don't know nearly as much about him, um, but their offenses have been quite good. Like they 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 run that really high, uh, you know, really a high flying offense. Uh, they bring in dual threat quarterbacks. Um, Armstrong was sensational this year. Uh, I, honestly, just the fact that they didn't, you know, they went sits and sits. Like if they if you change nothing about Armstrong's season, and they had like a Wake Forest year, he probably would have been right in like the Sam Hartman, maybe even Kenny Pickett conversations. Um, so yeah, I, I I would be totally fine. I know people have apparently an eye has like some kind of reputation for uh, questionable late game stuff, which I, I guess he can join the club. Um, but like in terms of the actual results on the field, it's hard to yeah. I, I've seen a little bit of it on Twitter, but like I you're guess if you have your quarterback. Sorry, you're among friends. Yeah. Yes. Welcome. But I mean, when your offense is putting up like six thousand total yards for the season, you know you have a forty-four hundred yard passer and like fit almost fifteen hundred yards as a team uh, in running. And obviously, I think the those numbers would be skewed in Syracuse because if you have Sean Tucker, you're gonna you're gonna use him. Um, but it, it does seem like the kind of guy who runs an offense that is closer to what we thought we were getting uh, earlier on in the Babers cycle. And you know, he's a legit ACC coordinator. Um, I don't think you know Virginia was in a was was trying to ditch him uh, when Mendenhall resigned. They had the number four offense for, for SP plus this year. So like, if you can go get that guy, even if he's not like a perfect fit, like there aren't that many perfect fits for Syracuse in the coordinator position who have like established P five experience. So I, I'm all for it. And and like going back to um, like the experience under Mendenhall long term, like they've run a lot of different. They've had a lot of different like looks looked offenses. Obviously, the last couple of years they've had the dual threat quarterbacks. Uh, with Perkins and Armstrong, who have both been fantastic at the college level. But, like, that offense does change year to year, um, which I think is, like, one of the the few, you know, if not strengths, it's, like, one of the things I do appreciate that Papers tries to do in terms of the talent on the roster. So it could just be a nice, like, new voice to bring in to, like, figure out how to get the most out of Schrader, obviously figure out how to get the most out of Tucker, um, and really get, like, a different perspective because he doesn't actually come from that Babers tree, even if there are similarities in approach. Yeah, I completely agree there. I, I think that ultimately, like, this is a great fit for what's currently on the roster. Um, if, if it happens, I think as, as much as I really like the Souter fit from Kent State, I do think that this is, I think, more of a home run in terms of hire, because this is not the type of hire you'd be able to make if Bronco was still in place um, at Virginia. And, and I think if you have the opportunity to hire both an OC and QB from such a, a, a high-powered offense, I think you have to do it. Um, and again, like the, the, the fits great, I think pushing this staff to like expand the voices in the room and also like expand what they do on offense. Um, I, I think one of the worst parts about the Gilbert hire was just that it was a continuation of something that wasn't working before he got there and, and for 2019. And it didn't really seem like they pushed to necessarily do much else. Um, I, I don't think that the I hire, if, if it happens, would 
be that at all. And I think that's, you know, something that's really needed here. So we'll see. I hope it happens. I think it would have a positive impact on, you know, recruiting in the DMV area. I think just recruiting in general, obviously just having a more cohesive system, something that is more identifiable again, I think would be great. So we'll see there. Um, I haven't really heard any murmurs about the defensive line coach um, opening, but I, I think the, the more pressing need, at least right now, is, is, is offensive coordinator, obviously. Yeah, I mean, you can argue it's like the most important. I mean, you know, this is not a, a super hot take, but it's it's the most important coach for most teams aside from head coach. Um, you can maybe if the head coach is like you know a Sark type who calls the plays, that's not the case. But with Babers, you know, pretty clearly wanting to have an OC who was running the offense and he can do the top down thing. Like, yeah, it's it's incredibly important with the, the struggles we've had. Um, it's also interesting. He has like a really uh, interesting full like background obviously he had the BYU years but he was at Arizona before that he was at Texas Tech I believe during some of the leech years so he has like a true uh a true um like air raid background as well so he's actually hit like a lot of these different kinds of offenses within like the greater modern spread um and he has all he has, he has experience both coaching offensive line and wide receivers which is a, an interesting combo so um yeah I, I'm 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 a, a fan of the idea hopefully it progresses obviously there's something going on um, but it, I think it'd be a, a good, really fortuitous move for Syracuse. Agreed, agreed. Uh, so Dan, uh, with, with the holiday season coming, I'm sure there's plenty of beer on, on the horizon for you, but what have you been drinking lately? Yeah, uh, I had a pretty busy weekend. I was down in Baltimore for the Packers Ravens game, uh, over the weekend. Uh, luckily avoided, uh, all the fun going around uh, attending that. Um, but I had, uh, I brought some stuff from the city down and I also had some, some kind of local stuff I was with friends from the Philly area. Um, I had my, my one natty bow, which I, I said I had to have that being in Baltimore. It was, uh, what you expect. Um, very yellow and fizzy, um, had, uh, from LIC beer project, some sour hour autumn harvest, which is a, a really interesting kind of blend of, of those like fall October festy beers with a kind of a sour background, which was, which was quite nice. Um, had a raspberry blonde from four noses brewing, which was really good. Um, had, uh, from, Beer Tree Brew, which is up in Johnson City, New York. Uh, a super stooped triple chocolate coconut fudge. Uh, I believe it was a stout. Um, really, yeah, it was a milk stout. Uh, really well done chocolate stout flavor. Uh, super drinkable, kind of milkshakey. Uh, really enjoyed that. Um, I think the highlight of the weekend, though, was uh, from Warwick Farm Brewing, which is somewhere in Pennsylvania. Um, and I had this kind of raved about and, and then was able to, to try it over the weekend. The uh, stratospheric IPA, one of the best IPAs I've had in a while. Like super uh, citrusy, uh, forward, um, really, really, really drinkable. Nice haze to it. Like a really well balanced uh, hazy IPA. Very nice. I uh, yeah, I had I've only had Natty Bow once. Uh, it was the last time I was in Baltimore. <laughs> it's brewed by Pabst, and if you put it in a PBR can, it would you'd probably be like, yeah, that's PBR. <laughs> a couple things that I had this past weekend. Uh, I know I mentioned this one like a couple months back, um, but I had the bottle of it this time versus on draft last time. It was uh, Modern Times, uh, a suggestion of mass aged in uh, maple uh, bourbon barrels, um, affogato edition. Really, really good. Sweet beer, but not like overwhelmingly so. I from Cellar Maker up in NorCal, uh, Motalis, the IPA, well, a hazy West Coast IPA from them. Also had uh, from Cellar Maker uh, coffee and cigarettes. One of their well, they really don't have. I guess they really don't have like a ton of porters, but this is their coffee porter. It's really good. Uh, it's smoked, big fan. 
um, highly recommend for those that uh, that can get it. Um, yeah, that's kind of variety uh, this past week. And that's in uh, whiskey too. So that kind of is breaking up this list quite a bit. Sorry, it wasn't more interesting, I guess. I, I think that's okay. I think we can all we can all just give ourselves a pat on the back. We're all we're all getting through stuff, and sometimes you don't have time for a you know a big like eight unique beer weekend. Beautiful. I'll probably have one of those <laughs> with uh with with Christmas and everything. Um, so Dan, since we last spoke, obviously Syracuse has a COVID pause um, on the men's basketball front. Uh, the women's basketball team uh, had a game postponed today. Um, Sienna had uh, it seems. They don't have an issue, but uh, their previous opponent, Ryder, um, had a uh, positive test among the like tier one staff. So they, uh, out of an abundance of caution, uh, postponed today's game. So they won't play again until the 30th. Men's team was next scheduled to be in action on the 29th. However, they added a game this coming Monday, um, the 27th, against Brown, um, who SU hasn't faced since 1986. Um, Brown's eight and five on the year. Uh, they lost to some good opponents. They also lost to Bryant. Um, and then they've beaten a bunch of, you know, the usual scrub teams. So h- how do you feel 10 games in um, right now? And do you think that, that given what we've seen so far and given the, like, weirdness of the ACC this year, do you feel like they can turn this thing around? Or do you feel like this is going to be a slog? Uh, you know, honestly, it's, like, impossible to tell. This ACC is so bizarre this year. Um there, like, I feel like every day there's a result coming out of the ACC men's basketball uh, conference that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense at all. Um, like today, even Notre Dame struggled with uh, A&M Corpus Christi. I think they ended up they ended up winning by ten, but like they were they were down for a bit. Um, UVA seems like a mess. Uh, Wright State beat NC State yesterday. Uh, you know, name it. Like every team has had like some bizarre result that doesn't necessarily indicate that they are like ready for prime time. Um, so and Syracuse is right there among them. So it's kind of impossible to know. Like I, I, I can't just like go out there and say like, this team is good. This team is bad, whatever. The, the like the reliable schools outside of Duke who looks fine, like are all over the place. So, um, you know, hopefully Syracuse is like, just can figure out more stuff and they get their moving, their, their moving pieces kind of in order and, figure out the defense and, and there's room for optimism, but I don't know what, like what kind of record in the ACC is going to guarantee you a tournament berth. Like, do you have to win 12 games? Do you have to win 13 games with the resume Syracuse has right now? It, like that's possible if, if the whole ACC is bad, like it, it kind of resembles like what we've had with the Pac-12, uh, not like the last couple of years, but like going back maybe four or five years where, um, you know, the league, is it like a three bid league? Like it, I can't rule that out. So yeah, obviously, moving aside the concerns of the COVID pause and what that means and, like, what we know it meant for the team last year and, and everything else, um, yeah, it's, it's really, like, impossible to say. I, I will say, like, I think the Brown, going to Brown from Cornell kind of weirdly helps them in terms of, like, net rating. But if you're, if you're, if you're like, relying on your Ivy League game to bump from, like, a 200-plus net to a 100-plus net, like, maybe that ends up being the difference, but probably not. Like, it's probably going to, to – rest in like a number of other things. So um, yeah, I guess we'll see how they respond to, to coming back. Hopefully, you know, it sounds like everyone's taste was very, very mild. Um, it sounds like everyone was vaccinated, which is good. And, and obviously that seems to be preventing like the worst of, you know, even what we saw last year with guys who got it, uh, where it was, it really clearly made some kind of impact. Um, and maybe like the, after the, just that rest kind of gives them something because uh, they probably needed it because we had like a pretty crazy run there for a bit. But 
yeah, I think just overall the ACC, I have no idea what to make of any of these teams except for Duke. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like hopefully like the, the, the bottom of what's been like a three-year like precipitous drop for the conference. Uh, I, I really think that a lot of a lot of schools either made poor hires or had rough recruiting stretches or both or are in the midst of like a coaching transition and, you know, with like TBD results there. Um, there's also like just a lot of like longtime coaches that have been there a while and maybe had diminishing returns. Um, I'd include us in that, but not to the same extent that like a Notre Dame has necessarily, you know, where Mike Bray is just not getting the same like level of success by any means out of the team anymore. Um, I, I think they, to your point earlier, like you need to win, especially against our schedule where you got two against Pitt, two against BC, like you need to win 13 games in league play to even sniff the tournament. And I just don't, even, even if SU's greatly improved in the second half of the year, I just don't know if they can get that. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if SU is just, like, a, enough better than, like, most of the ACC where they can just go bludgeon the league that way. Like, you know, if they, normally if they win 11 or 12 games, you'd feel great. But, like, A, the league is just, like, too weak for that to be a guarantee in terms of, of making the tournament. And also, like, there's nothing that's happened in the first couple months of the season where I feel like SU, you know, Virginia has a lot of issues, but SU doesn't have those issues. Like, they very well may be, like, the same. So, um yeah, I, I'm not particularly optimistic, both because like there just there isn't a lot of opportunity to to snag those big wins they need now. Um, you know, if they beat Duke one of the one of the teams, like that's that's great. Um, but that probably still requires them to win ten or eleven others, maybe twelve others in, in league. And, you know, if they don't win against Duke, then like they probably do need that like thirteen win mark, which is crazy to think, but that's where they are. I mean, thirteen ACC wins gives them, you know, maybe they'll sniff twenty for the regular season. Yeah, I mean, realistically, like before the ACC tournament, thirteen ACC wins gives them nineteen on the year before the before the conference tournament. You sort of need, yeah, that win in Durham to even like make twelve a conversation point in my mind. Um, it's not like the teams that have been beating us are like world beaters by any means. Some of them are. I mean, Villanova's very good, obviously, but uh, I, I think in general, like you're going to have to win some impressive road games. You're going to have to win away from the Dome. And, like, in recent years, this team just hasn't done that. Um, so I, I'm curious how the, the defense gets better, especially given the pause. I'm curious, you know, if we see Buddy in particular find his stroke a bit, him and Swider. Really, if him and Swider even get up to, like, a 35%, 37% clip from three, um, you do see a difference. I still think, though, that, that, that the defense can't improve by the – by the amount needed um, for this team to really compete for, like, at least seriously, like, in a large bid. Yeah, it's, like, one of those weird things where, like, you really do wish that a host of these schools were better and were harder to beat because then it would mean something. But, like, I don't know. It, it's it's pretty disheartening to, like, look at the schedule and see one ranked team and know that ranked team is very, very hard to beat. And then the rest is, like, you know, you're just – you're you're hoping to compile and – I don't know if if the if the powers that be just determined the ACC isn't very good and going into conference play it's just all like kind of sludge being thrown at the wall with all the results like I think I I wouldn't be surprised at all if there was like a three or four bid league which seems crazy for the ACC where like you know we've had double digits but um, it's hard to it's hard to deny it right now because it's like everyone's had these weird losses or just like bad losses. I just don't know how to fix this. I mean like. It's not the same as the the football league's problems of like, oh, well, Clemson was down this year and like the middle class is too middle 
and Florida State and Miami, you know, just don't win enough, and Georgia Tech doesn't win enough, and Virginia Tech hasn't been winning enough. Like, like in football, at least you could point to the issues, and like it's apparent. Here, it's like, oh well, Duke's still winning, and and North Carolina's still fairly good, and Virginia and Syracuse, on the other hand, are like kind of, but like, I, I just think realistically, from a basketball standpoint, like the standard was so much higher for the ACC men's basketball product that like there's not a clear roadmap of like how you get back to that given the state of a lot of these programs that are just like just kind of hanging around mediocrity maybe it's just you know an adjustment to how basketball is going to look um and and and, you know parity uh driving the sport more and and just you know talent dispersal whatever but like i don't necessarily think there's an easy roadmap to previous success for the ACC men's basketball league the same way there is for like football. Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, I will say like, I, w- I, I think the Pac-12 was in a more precarious position a couple of years ago because they didn't even have a lot of the brand names or the recent success that like a Florida state or Virginia does. Um, and I think like, if they can get back to like a decent place where they are now, like it's not great, but it's, it's decent. Like I think the ACC basketball league can. I think there has to be like a lot of determination in terms of getting some of these these hires right. And when you have like a, a Syracuse and a Florida State, like that's going to be, um, you know, pretty tricky going forward. Um, because like you know, Florida State's a big state school, but doesn't have the resources of like some of the other big state schools and replacing Leonard Hamilton at some point. And I'm not saying he's retiring tomorrow, but like you know, probably in the next ten years, pretty safely. Syracuse obviously um, does have even more. Uh, concerns based on like you know a million factors everyone listening to this knows um but i i do think like overall you know i i don't think it's like a necessarily a a hole that can't be dug out of it's definitely a concern but i, I think like the pac-12 probably had bigger concerns and they've they've started to make progress so i think it's something to be overcome but for like a one on a one-year uh basis it's like it's pretty troubling yeah i i think that's reasonable i i think the pac-12 is increasingly like a good comparison point across sports um, for the ACC, given... They're kind of mirrors. Like, ACC has more private schools, et cetera, but, like, you know, for a lot of ways, they kind of mirror each other. Yeah, Olympic sports focus, academic focus, um, you know, clear kind of tiered-out program system. Uh, a lot of places with a lot of other stuff to to, <laughs> to be, like, concerned about slash, like, use for your entertainment versus college sports. You'd be shocked. I, I've yet to see or hear anything about Lincoln Riley locally. Like, not one thing. That's, that's uh, yeah, that's wild. I mean, like, USC could drum it up. But, you know, I think that, that that's an engine that needs to be revved up a bit. Um, it doesn't just, like, happen anymore. No. I, I mean, it, it's just kind of weird around here in general. I feel like, you know, I've been here for almost a decade now. And to see this place shift from kind of like a USC and Lakers town to, like, a town like you've seen Lakers where like the Kings only mattered when they were really good um, to a town that is like decidedly just belongs to the Dodgers and like little else from a sports perspective. I feel like it's just kind of become this thing where it's like, all right, well, like the Dodgers are really good. So we'll go to some games and then like see everybody in October and, and, and like to see everybody, like to see the mindset shift among just like, people in the county and in the city like it, it is interesting to have like watched it progress but yeah like i mean usc does not matter in in the area the way it has and, and we're all used to because of you know when we grew up and all but i'm very curious to see how how they in particular do that and, and i mean they should have you know, an infinite amount of resources basically at, at, at their disposal and 
to get this back to the ACC conversation, like from a basketball standpoint, like UNC, Duke in particular should have, and Louisville too, to be honest, should have infinite amounts of resources at their disposal to get back to what they, like where they need to be. I think SU, it's, it's a bit more questionable because we, we've been getting a hometown discount with Bayheim. We really don't know what this, um, what this program and, 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 uh, you know, fundraising apparatus around it is capable of post Bayheim. And I, and, and I think that's, you know, a conversation for another day, but one that is, you know, of significant concern long-term at SU, but also a lot of the other ACC schools. It's also a program that's doing a lot of the heavy lifting for its athletic department versus obviously Duke is a lot of the same way, but you know, they still, uh, you know, they have less, they can charge a million dollars for all those seats and, and whatnot. SU has like a, a more interesting balance to strike. Um, but also the men's basketball program is doing, you know, arguably the heavy lifting for the program for the, for the athletic department versus football uh, where even like, you know, an average ACC school is probably still getting most of what it needs from football. And that goes to, to help out basketball and everything else. So, um, you know, that's not to say, you know, if football gets thrown away and like, you know, you did a couple like Marone like seasons where things are, are pretty on the level and attendance is like, okay. And, and they're kind of breaking even then, you know, men's basketball probably is probably in good shape because at worst they're still packing in, you know, 20,000 per game. Um, and, and they don't have to worry about, the rest of like the whole athletic department situation quite as much. But uh, if football is going to remain an issue and they're not, you know, selling half the tickets for the, for the dome um, slash, you know, throwing put COVID on the side, that's a whole other concern, but then men's basketball continues to slip and then they need to make a hire. Who's probably going to be making more than Bayheim, even if they are not like a proven commodity from day one, that's when you start to have real issues. So I, I think uh, all these puzzle pieces kind of fit together, but um yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, I'd be way more, I'm way more concerned about Syracuse than uh, a lot of these other programs. It's like, as, as I brought up Florida State, because I think they're kind of an interesting comparison point because of, you know, Hamilton being older as well, and also having a lot of success recently. Like, if Florida State gets their football program um, back into a decent place, like, they're probably still already making a lot more money from that to begin with, just because of the nature of the program. So, like, they can probably go out, and if they have the institutional will to do it, they can spend however many million on a good basketball coach. Syracuse is going to be tricky because like they probably have, if I had to guess, like they've gotten very, very used to paying Bayheim way, way, way under market value. So yeah, I mean, that, that's, you know, been one of the, the major concerns for SU basketball for a long time, but you know, it, it's, it's continuing to creep along and, and for the ACC as a whole, like they kind of need Syracuse, obviously Virginia. I don't think they're super worried about long-term because, you know, if Bennett stays there, I think they'll be fine, but you need some of these like, second-tier programs behind just the Dukes and the UNCs to, to start pulling their own weight. And that's not even to bring in, like, the Louisville conversation, because who knows what happens there. I think they'll have plenty of money to make a move if they need to, but, like, that's not really ugly and has kind of flown under the radar. Yeah, I think that also just speaks to, like, the last the craziness of the last few years, but then also just how much the college basketball regular season has continued to, like, kind of fade into the background. And I think, like, you know, I, I think we I think we see more conversation nationally around ACC football concerns than we do ACC men's basketball concerns, which is odd, um, but also just a reflection of the times and kind of how much football drives the bus. Um, but Dan, anything else before we uh, before we wrap up today? Any uh, any kind of last remarks about Syracuse sports in in twenty twenty one? No, I mean, hopefully we get the uh, hopefully twenty twenty two goes better because uh, I mean I'll take the Sweet Sixteen again. I guess like all things considered, if you told me to do the proverbial sign on the dotted line. Yes, I will sign for another Sweet 16 based on how this year has started. 
Um, but overall, yeah, like can, let's let's hope the climb is is ahead of us now. Finally, um, but yeah, hope everyone stays uh, healthy. Obviously, uh, stay safe. Does the things they need to do uh, through the holidays, and uh, fingers crossed that we get some like good news on on all that front too, um, and not just Syracuse sports. Although that is important. Great. Yeah, I, I think if everything improved, that'd be ideal. <laughs> Whatever that entails. Yeah, fun times. You know, I look forward to uh, to entering year whatever of this podcast and, and year three of uh, of uh, not knowing if the game is going to be played uh, three days out. It's really a, a great time. Easy to schedule your life around. We're actually we're headed toward. I think next. I think this coming June would be the eighth anniversary. Which crazy. Is, which is pretty wild. So we're already like halfway through like the eighth year of this thing. Yes. Don't 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 ever say we've never done anything for you. That's so many episodes, people. It's quite a but you need to find out exactly how many episodes it's been. I think that data's out there somewhere. I'm sure it is. I'll have to look it up and maybe do a look back episode. <laughs> um, all right. Uh Dan, uh that it from you. Anything else before we uh jump? That is it for me. Thank yeah. you everyone for tuning in. Yeah, I uh, hope everybody's a happy holiday, a happy new year, be safe, uh, watch out for yourself, watch out for others. Um, but that is Dan, I'm John. Thank you everyone for listening to Strain News and After the Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>